Zoom room today on a Wednesday. Uh, this will come out on Thursday, obviously. Sadly, we do not have Caitlin Free on tonight. Uh, that's kind of a bummer. But we have a really good guest, and that is Jessica Popcat of Sam Houston Race Park, director of uh, marketing for uh, Suffolk Downs and for Trachis. And I think you'll like the interview a lot and the, the conversation that we have. It's fun. It's enjoyable being able to get uh, contemporaries in here that that are working at the smaller tracks and are trying to get the word out. And I think you'll enjoy the interview. And just a reminder that on Saturday we'll be on as well. So hope you enjoy the interview. It's short, sweet, to the point. And thank you for watching and listening to the Goat Zoom Room. As always, subscribe, rate, review on all. I on all uh, podcast platforms, and if you happen to be watching on YouTube, please go ahead and subscribe. We are going to be doing some new things. We're joined in the Goat Zoom Room by Jessica Paquette of Sam Houston Race Park, of Suffolk Downs, of Trachis, uh, you name it, uh, Thoroughbred Aftercare as well, and also my colleague over at Sam Houston Race Park, and does an incredible job with uh, everything she does there for Sam Houston. Welcome to the Goat Zoom Room. Sorry that Caitlin uh, Free couldn't be here tonight, so it's just you and I. That's all right. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun getting involved at Sam Houston this year. It's a great racing product. It is. It's a great racing product. But, you know, you know, we could talk ad nauseum about how great the product is at Sam Houston Race Park because of all the things they do for the betters. But how did you get your start in racing? So I was a weird horse crazy kid that grew up in a city kind of pretty far removed from horses. And I, I rode a little bit, we didn't really come from a lot of money. So it was hard for me to kind of ride regularly. And I fell in love with the racetrack. Um, that was my way of horses became a lot more approachable uh, for me at that point. And then through kids to the cup with uh, Trudy McCaffrey and John DeSantis, when I was a weird horse crazy teenager, they brought us to races, showed us kind of what racing was really all about. And I knew probably when I was maybe 14 that I knew there was nothing else I wanted to do. Now you say uh, Trudy McCafferty and John DeSantis, right? They're both, mm -hmm. they're both Southern California stalwarts. Uh, do you yeah. have a link to Southern California at all? No, no. Well, so in the, um, uh, this is going to date me a little bit, but in like the late nineties and early two thousands, Trudy started an organization called kids to the cup, which was designed to show horse racing in a positive way to, to youth. And it certainly worked. A lot of the members of it from back then are were, like actively working in the industry. And it was, I mean, the time of our life, we got to go to the breeders cup and triple crown races and, you know, meet Todd Fletcher and like see the horses. It was just the coolest. It was, it was a charmed thing. And so that obviously developed into being able to go and parlay it to where you're now, you know, director of operations of Trachis and, and Suffolk Downs. How did that happen? So I was the intern that never left at Suffolk. Um, I started out at Rockingham Park interning with Lynn Snearson and learned a ton from her, uh, just an incredible woman and mentor for me. And then from there, I got an internship at Suffolk Downs and I never left. Uh, I just kind of gradually grew, you know, kind of went up the ladder until I was the vice president of marketing there. And also I was the TV personality for about 13 years off and on uh, working with some really fun people. What did, uh, what's your favorite memory of Rockingham Park? So years and years and years ago um there was there's a newspaper from my whole hometown called the Lowell sun 
and it was New Hampshire sweepstakes day. And uh, the local racing reporter invited me, um, you know, weird horse, crazy kid to tag along with him for the day. Um, and that was my first time getting to cover races as in a journalist perspective at like 14. And I was just, it was the coolest thing. Um, so that's probably one of my favorite memories of the rock. I actually, uh, my we were talking off air. One of my favorite things of, of old friends is what that Barbara Livingston did. And that's bring Spring Steel's uh, memorial statue to old friends. And I love telling that story because it's touching. It's got so much history behind it. And I really wish I would have been able to go to Rockingham before they, they did all the closing down and all that. I had one final walk around. Uh, I kind of broke in a little bit. Um, kind of before it all, uh, before the, the development started. And that was a really, like, it was, it was nice to have that last quiet moment there to, because that was the first door that really opened for me in racing was the press box at Rockingham. And I'm forever grateful to that. Um, cause that led me to Suffolk, which was really the greatest love of my life. Now, obviously you do more than just, uh, all this behind the scenes horse racing stuff. You also have a couple off-track thoroughbreds that you use to, uh, I guess you- Mostly do... they just cost me money, to be honest. Really? You don't do any <laughs> equestrian at all? Oh yeah, no, I was I was joking. Uh, yeah, one, um, one of them I've had for about 10 years. He had a nice career as a show hunter off the track and he's kind of semi-retired now. Uh, we just kind of hack around and like trail ride and goof off. And then the other one I got in March, he's a little more physically limited. Um, 82 starts were a few two starts too many for him, but he's enjoying his life doing whatever it is that he does, mostly just costing me money. <laughs> I, I love those types of horses. I got my first off the track thoroughbred in 1993. Um, he blew a suspensory and I used to groom him for Jude Feld. So I went over to, to Brad McDonald, who was a trainer of, who, who claimed the horse from Jude. And I asked him if I could have him, and he looked at me like I was nuts. But I figured it was kind of a twofold thing. One, I was going to learn a lot about legs with a suspensory. Sure. Two, I was going to know a lot of the vets. And three, I was going to know a lot of the shoe, the, the shoers. And I learned so much about legs just off of that horse alone. And going from he'll never run again, he'll never barely walk again, to him having a career as a cross country jumper and oh, cool. as a trail horse and as a horse that has given me so many scars on my back from going in places that he thought he was the only one there and not me. And the times I bathed in the river, nothing is more exciting than having an off the track thoroughbred. It's the greatest thing I've ever done. Um, so much of everything good in my life has come from thoroughbred racing and come from horses. So the least I can do is give back where I can. And I mean, it's easy get, to get overwhelmed in aftercare thinking you have to save them all and you can't, you can't, you, but you can make a real difference for a couple of them. Yeah. And I say that after every speech, um, after old friends tours, it, they'll always ask me, well, what, what got you involved in old friends? And I said, look, I've been in this business for 30 plus years. I, and now I dated myself, but uh, I basically got my start as a hot walker. Mm -hmm. I am thankful every single day that these horses exist because without them, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And so me being able to come and share what we do now and how they're treated is a big benefit. For sure. And um, 
you know, the best part of my day every day is going to see my horses and ride. And, but even if I couldn't ride them, they don't owe me anything. It's just having them in my life is really rewarding to me. Yeah. It's, it's incredible the way they, and the way they probably respond to you too. Right. It's like, they know you're the sound of your truck. They know when they have, when you're around without even having to say or do anything. They know I have the good treats. They definitely, <laughs> they know where the snacks are. <laughs> What got you into to being part of the Sam Houston race park experience this year? My buddy, Jason Beam, I think recommended me for the gig, which I really appreciate. Uh, you know, he and I have been friends for a very long time and I'm his biggest fan. So it's nice that he's in my corner too. He's, uh, I have yet to meet his acquaintance, like person to person. I only kind of deal with him on Twitter, obviously social media. And he, I didn't know anything about him until the Beamy Awards. And I truly wish that he wouldn't have stopped that because I thought that was such a good way to bring everybody together. But it leaves you wanting more. So he and I actually met on the Twitter too. And we're just kind of internet friends for a long time. And now, I mean, after all these years, he's one of my closest friends, uh, coast to coast. So that's, that's the awesome. fun thing about horse racing Twitter. And also some of the bad things about horse racing Twitter is all, <laughs> the, all, all of the odd things that are going on. There are a lot of tweets I type and then delete. Um, I'm very guilty of like angrily typing and then being like, no, you can't. Like you have to you just, just delete that. Yeah, the I do the same thing, right? And, you know, when I was freelancing, it was okay, right? It was like, oh, I can tweet about anything. It's not going to matter to me. Then I started working with Racing with Bruno and it was like, what? why can't I tweet the fact that poor Andrew just cost me $30 on a horse? <laughs> Right. And why can't I say that he's an idiot for doing it? Right. Even though I love Flo and he's made me a lot of money over the years, but still, you can't tweet that. that it's easy the, to want to armchair quarterback a little bit. I get it. It really is. It really is. And I think with the perspective of the fact that my closest friend and my sister was a jockey at one point in time at Woodbine and Santa Anita um, and watching all the race replays with her, I have a different perspective than, say, somebody who just watches races all the time. Sure. Because there's always a back and forth and, okay, why did this person do this? Why did you do this? So sometimes I get frustrated that way. At the same time, I totally understand the whole drafts and leaving it there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm guilty. I make a lot of drafts. I'm not going to lie. Like there, <laughs> I have a lot of drafts. <laughs> Especially now with the SHRP stuff where we're getting tweeted out all the time and Chris helps us out. Um, it's even worse now because it's it's kind of like, oh, I really want to say that, but I can't. Oh, I'm not really shy. I say pretty much everything I need to say. I, I, I need to say in one way or another, but like the response from the industry kind of going, um, getting back in the game a little bit with Sam Houston has been really nice. Everyone's been super, has been super nice. It's been a nice reminder for me that I'm not entirely old and dead yet. I was happy you, you were on, you came on. I was, Thank when you. Chris said that, when Chris said Jessica Paquette's here, I'm like, sweet i'm like that's like added bonus because you know gino does stuff off on the side for for his podcasts and we get we get a lot of viewership because of the 12 percent takeout and all that but to add you on it's it's a big plus that that shows that everybody's watching sam houston especially jason beam 
Well, and it's been really fun kind of watching the races with horse racing Twitter because you feel like you're watching them with a bunch of your friends, even though I'm here in Boston and like and you know not at the track. It's been that's been kind of a fun thing through the whole pandemic and quarantine. Really, is like is you feel like you're watching races with just a whole bunch of friends. Yeah, we uh, you know we were chatting earlier on a group text, and I'm like, you know, some of the things that are in some of the chat forums are just out of control because you start becoming part of a community with with the horse racing Twitter. And you literally start to get to know everybody pretty much. So you kind of start worrying about certain people if you don't see them tweet for a while. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the old horse racing forums that like pace advantage was brutal. <laughs> Some of the things people would write on there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Or that was when I was just starting out. People were not always nice. AOL was worse. That okay. AOL horse racing. Now I really like completely ruined it for myself as far as age. Oh no, I was on there too. That's, I mean, that, that was, that was like, I was, that was the early days of the internet. Like weird horse crazy kid was right there. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, you're a lot younger than, than me. And Not Cole. as young as you think. No. Let's just go with that. <laughs> <laughs> what, Good work, really. Uh, what, what do you do with, um, what do you think needs to change as far as horse racing? I want to get it. The reason why I brought up the whole aftercare stuff is obviously there's, uh, a trainer in Britain that's kind of done some stupid things and it's been caught on camera. But what do you think needs to change as far as the U.S.? We always ask our guests this because, you know, we'll be sitting here watching races or talking to you. And, uh, you know, that's always the one thing that's always brought up is what, what needs to change? I think we need to further educate horsemen and women about the fact that these horses have value as sport horses. You don't need to squeeze every last dime out of them on the track. Like it's the one more race that gets you. And that's the, that can be the deciding factor between a horse having a productive second career and being a pasture ornament. So I think educating them that these horses are not giveaways, you know, you're not gonna have to give them away. There are people who want them. Um, if you stop on them before they're too broken to go do an ambitious second career. What, if you were running horse racing right now, what would you do? I mean, I think that, that there really needs to be like a broader push of education um, for the horsemen at, like, at every level too. I don't, just, I don't just mean at the small tracks and the little claiming guys. Um, there are plenty of, you know, big barns that one more race or, you know, a race too far. And then, you know, if they're well-bred or, you know, a stakes winner, then they go in the breeding shed, but you don't need, you don't need 70 sons of tappet standing at stud. You don't, like, you don't need all of them. Um, you know, some of them may be better suited getting a little brain surgery and going on to a second career. I mean, in all honesty, I think every tapper needs to have brain surgery. Well, yeah, different. I meant a different sort of brain surgery, but but hopefully no, no, the one that you're know. talking about. Yeah, I think I think uh, a lot of the problems with tappets are they have so much testosterone that not only does it go to one spot, it also goes to the other spot, and they have a bad yeah. tendency. I, I'm not a fan of the, I'm not a fan of them. Um, this is I, like no offense to tap it. Like I like them as racehorses. They're great. Like they're fun to watch. They're super talented. They sell well. I understand the appeal of them, but that whole pulpit line, like as someone who looks at these horses as sport prospects too, like I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I was. Uh, Give me broken vow, please. Oh yeah. Totally. yeah. The, f the funny thing, the funny thing is, is uh, yesterday I was going through the Texas Thoroughbred Association sale for April. And a lot of times they get a lot of horses that are, the dams are a lot older than say what we're used to. Sure. So I'll see like a she's tops on the top side or I'll see, uh, 
forget who I saw that I used to, or Devil's Orchid. Was oh, okay. Line. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, I used, I used to be in the same barn with those two horses. And then I'm like, oh yeah. And then, then you look and you see Arch and Pulpit and you're like, that's not going to be a very nice horse to deal with. Uh, but the arches are so sporty. You can overlook their disposition a little bit. Like they, they can jump at, like, and they can move like they, there are certain, I mean, one of my horses is like, he is not a nice, he is a little bit of a bad actor. He always has been. Um, but he was a good racehorse, a great sport horse. And like my, I mean, I adore him, but he, I understand that he would not be for everybody. Yeah. I mean, um, it takes a special person to do that. Right. It, to have to deal with a horse like that. Yeah, he is, he is a horse that, you know, he does not like everybody. He's not pleasant to everybody. But if you handle him a certain way, he's like, he's perfectly safe. He's just obnoxious. Yeah, we, uh, at, uh, when I used to help uh, Jerry Lambert run the farm in Riverside for Magnus Arabians, we had a horse called Seeking Na, who was a champion four-year-old. And everybody couldn't be around him because he, he was real nippy, mm-hmm. real, real honoring. But if you learn that all you have to do is give him the shank and let him walk to the walk himself to the to the watershed to get bathed and let him play with the hose, he was a happy the happiest horse in the world. And then you can just bring him back and he's fine. But some of them I really feel like they just need to think it's their idea. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you talk about breeding lines. What are some of your favorite breeding lines minus broken valve? I mean, I think Tisnow has been just such a great influence in the breed, especially because he's a little bit of an outcross because, you know, he, he was such an oddity himself. Um, that's such a good question. Uh, I think Honor Code will be the heir to ABND um, by, by all accounts. So this is an embarrassing, uh, and my, my idea of a good time has always been just paging through the stallion register. Uh, I remember as a teenager, like that, like stallion register day was my favorite day of the year when that would, would come the whole big thing, yeah, just going yeah. page by page by page. And that was how I kind of figured out what I liked and what I didn't um, and developed a lot of opinions that I really kind of carried with me today. Um, I've never been an unbridled song fan. That's a, that's a hot take that I know not everyone agrees with. I've never been much of a fan. Actually, I'm very in agreement with you. I think uh, if Caitlin was here, I think she might argue with you on that. Those pasterns, man. That. I I can't with the with those with those pasterns. Exactly. That's my problem too. It's like, you know, I talk about it all the time ad nauseum on here, and and Caitlin sometimes has to shut me down on it because I'll go on and on. But I think there's a weakening of the breed that needs to stop. Sure. And you know. You know, you mentioned the tappets. There are a lot. You're right. There's a lot of tappets that don't need to be, don't need to be sires. Yeah, like and I think they make you know they're great resources and some, but I don't think there needs to be maybe as many stallions as there are uh, currently in the country. You know, just because it can breed doesn't mean it should necessarily. I've always, uh, I was lucky enough, and I'm sure you've been lucky enough. When I was first getting into the industry, I used to go to Santa Anita all the time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the ushers at the time were older, like in their 60s, people that were gallop riders back in the day, 30 years from then. So you're talking about the 50s, the 40s, the 60s, the 70s. So I got a real good appreciation for all the bloodlines because a lot of those guys would ride those horses. Not like um, one guy had, one guy used to uh, 
gallop Nasrula. And he would tell me what he used to do when he used to gallop him, where he would try to flip on him and roll him over and all this. And I'm like, wow, really? Or wild again. Vincent Tiffany always, Vincent Tiffany was the greatest person you'd ever want to talk to for New Orleans racing. I, and if anybody who doesn't know who Vincent Tiffany is, he's I think he's passed away. I hope I didn't just kill him by accident. Um, but he he had Wild again, who won the first Breeders' Cup. I, I know who Wild again is. And so he was telling a story about the week of the Breeders' Cup where Wild again was so mean that if somebody did him wrong, he would he would remember it. And there was a pigeon that was flying around, flying around, and he was walking on the backside wild again. And the pigeon dropped it, basically unloaded on him. And wild again saw the pigeon, watched him, clocked him, and he turned around. And when the pigeon was coming down to stand to get on the floor to get something, he double barreled the pigeon. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa. I'm like, I can't believe he did that. That's how talented he was, but that's how mean he was. And yeah, he just had opinions. That's all. That's all. Just no. It, <laughs> they have opinions. You know, the one thing I've noticed, I don't know if you have, have you noticed how many horses nowadays are are still still not stallions and are seven-year-olds, six-year-old when you're looking at racing forms? I mean, you don't see enough of them. That's... What would, what would you, would you, I mean, obviously you want to do brain surgery on them, correct? Um, that age? I mean, if they're still intact, Yeah. if they're still intact and racing, not necessarily. Um, that's kind of a trainer by trainer. Like if you want to keep them intact, like, intact until they're done racing, like that, I mean, because some of them are entirely, I mean, a stallion shouldn't be unmanageable just because he's a stallion. Like that's a, that's a, that's a you problem, not a them problem. Like if you can't teach them manners, um, so no, I think, I mean, if that keeps them competitive, if that's how they're happy, that's fine. Um, and then kind of what they do post-racing is really when you decide whether to cut them or not. Though I would like to give whoever gelded my horse at a very young age a medal because he must have been an absolute nightmare. <laughs> he must have been just a holy terror. <laughs> I mean, whoever that person is, like they did the Lord's work uh, gelding him as a yearling. Like that was, that was it. I saw a two-year-old gelding at the Texas Thoroughbred uh, sale catalog. I'm like, wow, they gelded him early. I'm gonna go look and see what he's like because he's got to be on. He's got to be all sorts of honorary still. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mine. He, he's a troublemaker. My yep. Uh, mine was described as his by his breeder that the boys breaking him kept calling him an orangutan. So he was a handful from day one. <laughs> Who's You've been around the business for a long time. Who, do, what horse do you think doesn't get enough credit for for his racing career? For her racing career, and that is, is Azari. His or her? Um, Azari. I think Azari gets entirely overlooked in the great conversation about great fillies and mares. She was as good as Zenyatta. She was as good as Rachel. I will die on this hill. Uh, I think. I think she was truly spectacular and maybe a little mismanaged that last part of her career which is why you know kind of she gets overlooked who who trained her was it uh coach had her at the end who coach lucas had her at the at the end and was a little ambitious with her the, those last couple of races i didn't know wayne had her 
Yeah. I know that Lauren Desaru had her, right? Is that yeah. 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 Um, what, what stat, what Colt or Galding would you put in that category? I mean, I don't think Graham Hall gets nearly enough credit, but that is, I, I'm, a, I'm the one person in that fan club. Uh, but I think Skip Boy kind of gets a little bit, uh, a, little get shaft, a little shafted in the discussions of great horses from the 90s, for sure. Um, I mean, he, he did things that horses will never do again. Yeah, I, I, think, I think a lot of people forget what Lure did. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, I, was, I will always die on the hill that Secretary is the second best racehorse ever. To whom? To Dr. Fager. Okay. I, I, won't, I won't argue. That's. And the only reason is, is because he could win at any distance. And I know Secretariat could too. But I think you look at, you look at the way Dr. Fager went all the way across the country compared to Secretariat only going east of the Mississippi. Um, you can make an argument that at least Dr. Fager ran in every race. Yeah, no, I admire anything that anyone that dances every dance. I think that's that's a lost art at this point. Um, you know, there's never going to be a great handicap horse again. No, and you know, we were we had this argument on Twitter maybe three or four months ago, and I don't think you were involved in it. It was uh, who was it? It was uh, Nick Hines, Andrew Champagne, a couple other people, but we were talking about uh, the California the California situation where you have the Pacific classic, you have the Hollywood gold cup, you have the big cap and they're all lost arts and that they should put some sort of handicap division together for all of, all of the older horses to keep them running. I just remember how I mean, much of a thrill those divisions were when I was first falling in love with racing. And those were the kind of horses that I really like, that really got me into the sport. Yeah, that was, and, and that's, that's kind of the argument, right? It's like, they had a good idea back in the nineties. That's how the Pacific classic was made was because they tried to put a handicap uh, point system together to where everybody, the more you ran, the more you would get points for. But then of course, horse racing stepped on their foot and they put, they put like uh, the insulin and the Pacific classic on the same day. So if you're an East coast trainer, where are you going to go? And if you're a West coast, right. trainer, where are you going to go? Uh, so it's kind of one of those things to where you have that situation where it's kind of hard to uh, get everybody on the same page. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Who's who's the most underrated race call announcer? TD Thornton, my man. I have to be loyal. TD TD officiated my wedding. I love him. I love him endlessly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be homeschool here. I'm gonna go with. Uh, with uh, Mr. Chris Griffin. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I also think Chris is—he's uh, so good and works so hard. And yeah, I'll come. I mean, can't argue at that point. I'm—I've known Paul Allen for a long time. He was in California. He dated one of my closest friends. He married her, um, and then obviously divorced her. He—he um, uh, he basically revolutionized how horse racing is called nowadays with the it used to be so stuffy and then michael rona came around and paul allen and chris to some extent if you don't pay attention you'll miss some of the zingers he puts in his race call and then you go back and you go oh yeah that was funny yeah he's clever he's 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 really clever and 
and has a great voice. Uh, he, like, I mean, I can listen to him read the phone book. Like he has a super voice. I still think he. I still think I need to figure out who, who the singer is, or who what band he was in. Right. I like, have so many questions. I do too. It's like, but he won't answer them. Well, we have some. We have some time. We'll we'll wear him down. <laughs> He's this main special weight's going to go off at uh, at Sam Houston right now for the sixth race before Super. we get off the air. Um, or before we close up this podcast, I was actually making a comment about the whole Steve Asmussen first timer here, the sixth race, which, which is a sibling to multiple graded stakes winner, Tara for yep. And I'm like, nobody in that family, but one has ever won on the grass. And this Philly's going to probably be bet down to like three to five and it shouldn't. And, and what are we, what are we looking at here? There we go. Yeah, there, there she is. Right. So I'm just like, no, no, no. The Brad Cox, that family's never won on turf. It's like, they're going to both bet heavily. Please, somebody come in with a huge price. And hopefully, it's the one I like. I mean, it'll probably be the Scott Young horse because every time I don't pick Scott's horses, they like run off the board. They run like lights out. Yeah. Scott, Scott's, uh, I've always liked the way Scott trains. He does a really good job. He's very underrated. Mm-hmm. I think he's I think he's one of the few he's one of the few horsemen that what I've noticed here in the Midwest is he will spot his horses in the right spots. He's not afraid to to put him in a in a spot that he might lose him in. Right, right. And you have to, you have to be aggressive. Like I the claiming game is part it's part of the sport. Yeah. And you can do it with a heart. Like it, it's not I think people give it a, like a bad reputation sometimes. And it's not that's not it's yeah. very rarely the case. Yeah, I mean Carl Broberg does a great job too. These guys that the, he wins races. Yeah, and it's it's a middle and for some reason it's a Midwest pet mentality too. Uh, that I've noticed where people aren't afraid to put horses in. Even like in Suffolk, when I used to look at the forms, there were horses that I would never ever thought of being in claiming races that were in claiming races, and I'm like, man, I would claim him. Oh yeah, there. Were- there were some. There were some. If you were sharp, like you could really get, do very well. Uh, the ten didn't break well here. That's a problem. Um, yeah, I'm watching uh, the race too. I'm not just staring at my phone. I probably like, no, 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 no. That's fine. Uh, the three didn't get off to a good start, and I was ranging up to the outside. Where's the four? Oh, there's the four. Man, I have been so off on this on these races it's ridiculous and i think the three is the scott young right yeah of course he's gonna win no that's gonna be that's gonna be the brad cox horse here comes a four I love the turf racing at Sam Houston. I don't always figure it out, but but like it is competitive as can be. This, and that's one thing before we go. I love Sam Houston Race Park on every level because everything is so competitive. Yeah. Um, I really hope the four won this race because I love the four today. Um, I really want the four because I've got them in every single pick five ticket. Well, good luck. Yeah. I have to drive over to this, to the track to make my bets and then come over here because of ADW. Uh, one night we're gonna have Chris Griffin, you, and 
and Trey Styles on, and we're gonna try to figure out this whole whole boy band deal. All right, let's do it. Let's do um, it. I can't wait to have you back on again. I thanks for having me. Fun. I enjoyed it. Likewise. And as always, uh, those that are listening, we will be back on Saturday with the Goat Zoom Room live uh, from Aqueduct. Uh, we'll have Brian. Brian Duransky, Fu Manchui, um, Caitlin Free, hopefully Andrew Champagne will join us, and whoever else wants to join our little party so we can discuss all the races in the last four. And special thanks to Jessica Pocket for coming on and discussing racing and everything that goes on. And we'll see you guys on Saturday. Have a good one.